Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. In this episode, I am answering three of my client questions. So this is really exciting because I have revived my client podcast questions and hopefully we'll be doing more episodes like these. I'm thinking maybe every month or so. And I have chosen three questions that came in through my client check-ins. So today we are going to talk about how do I actually listen to my body? Is intermittent fasting healthy? And how do I set up a nighttime routine to help myself sleep better? But first, just a quick life update. So I, if you are following me on Instagram, you've probably seen I have vacated my apartment in Barcelona and I have briefly moved in with my boyfriend and his two roommates in another area because my neighborhood in Barcelona has been, has been taken over by a week-long block party. And I laugh because when you live in Spain, you kind of get used to these fiestas and you're like, okay, cool. Like my neighborhood is going to be a clusterfuck for a week. But as an American, and you think about a block party and you're like, okay, a block party from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. and then everybody goes home and sleeps fine and there's no loud music after 10 p.m. No, no. There was literally a heavy metal band. We went last night to check out the the party. There was a heavy, heavy metal band playing about 100 meters from my house. And so that means if I had stayed in my apartment this week, I would be listening to heavy metal until 4 o'clock in the morning, even like on a Wednesday or Thursday night. So very happy that I had a place to go to. And if you're listening to this, if you live in the States, it's so wild. Some of the things that are just a giant culture shock, and I've been in Spain for almost 10 years now, but there's still some things that I think, how is this possible? But that said... It's very lovely and very grateful to live here. So so with that, let's hop in to these questions from my clients this week. And we are going to start out with this first question where my client says, I think it would be a great idea to give some advice on how to listen to our bodies in different ways, like hunger, training, or rest. I think that a lot of us that have spent uh, most of our lives not paying attention to our bodies find it really challenging to know if we need rest, if we're hungry or tired, or if the exercise that we are doing is too hard. And I totally resonate with this because personally, I had to relearn a lot of my body cues and a lot of the indicators that I needed to pull back on something, needed to rest. I need to relearn a lot of my body cues around hunger and fullness. And the skill of understanding and under, in identifying and interpreting your body signals is called interoception. And a lot of the work that I do with clients is around interoception because I work with so many people that have been on the diet train for a really long time. And so let's talk a little bit about how we can start doing that. And so as I mentioned, interoception is the skill of identifying and interpreting body signals. And over the years, we've really lost touch with a lot of these signals, part of it because we have been dieting for a long time and we have ignored our hunger, or we've pushed really hard at work and totally ignored our tiredness or our mental fatigue. We've worked out when we should have been resting or we've drank coffee when what we really needed was a big glass of water. And when we were kids, so when we were little, at some point we were all intuitive eaters and we were all able to respond to changes in our body sensations, even sometimes we didn't know why. So we would eat when we were hungry and leave food on the plate when we were full. And sometimes as kids, we would like cry when something hurt, even though we didn't know what was going on. We would laugh when we felt a certain way. We would take a nap when we were tired. So it was a lot more intuitive, right? But as we grew up, we learned that we need to use our bodies to tell our, or sorry, we need to lose our, use our minds to tell our bodies what they need to do. 
And this leads to being really out of touch with the subtle signs that our body gives us. So signs that we experience every single day, like being full, needing a mental break, or even sometimes like needing a cry or needing a hug. And it's kind of like the, if you don't use it, you lose it. But the cool thing about this is, so this question from this client where she's like, I know I haven't been listening to my body for a long time. And how do I start doing it again? We can relearn how to do this. And this is kind of the basis of of so much of my coaching. And inside of my group program, we talk a lot about the practice of mindful eating and and the exercises necessary to help you sort of re-engage this ability to check in with your body and interpret what's going on specifically with hunger and fullness. But we're going to talk about a few little different areas as well. And so let's talk about interoception and the action steps that we need to take in order to get to know ourselves a little bit better. And so the first step is noticing shifts in what your body feels like. And this takes a lot of curiosity and some patience. And so you might get curious, like, what does it feel like when I know that I'm rested, right? What does it feel like when I don't get enough sleep? How do I feel after I eat a satisfying, delicious meal? How do I feel when I haven't eaten for a few hours? How does it feel when I do an easy workout? And how does it feel when I feel like I'm really pushing myself in a workout? So asking ourselves these questions and then actually pausing and taking note of what we feel is really the first step, right? And this is where comparison can be really helpful. Not comparison to others, comparison to yourself. Because you might know what it feels like when you feel good or what it feels like when you feel rested. And then you can start comparing shifts in this baseline. On the flip side, you might know what it feels like when you feel terrible or when you feel absolutely starving. And so you can compare different shifts to understand like this is something that's changing inside the way that my body feels. And honestly, at first, it might be the really big shifts that stick out to you. And as you practice, so something that specifically this client and I have been practicing a lot is using the feelings wheel to determine emotions. So emotions have both like a mental component and a physical component. And using the feelings wheel can help start to connect this, hey, I am physically feeling something. I mentally am also something's going on. And how do I put language to that? So that's kind of one of the ways that we do this. And a lot of the clients that I work with, especially at the beginning, really struggle to know when they're, they're hungry, but they might know when they're really starving. Or they struggle to know when they're a little bit fatigued, but they can tell when they're like really, really tired. And so sometimes it helps to work backwards from there. And so the second step is knowing what to do when you've noticed a shift in your body. And most of what we need to do falls into a few categories. Usually, you need to eat something, you need to sleep, you need to give yourself a mental break, or you need to allow yourself some physical rest. And personally, I cannot be in your body, so I can't tell you when or what you need. What I can recommend is intentionally setting aside moments to check in with yourself and asking, how do I feel and what do I need? And at the beginning, you might be like, I do not fucking know. And that's totally fine. As So this is where I do encourage coaching on this because it can be really challenging if you're not sure what you're looking for. There's specific exercises, especially when I work with clients who overeat um, or clients that really struggle to know when they need to rest. We will actually schedule these moments into the day and we have some specific tools and exercises that expand your ability to sense what it is that you need. And specifically around food, this is exactly what the Confident Eater really touches on. And so some questions that you can ask yourself When was the last time that I ate something? 
did I eat enough food or was my food mentally satisfying? When was the last time I slept or the last time I rested? Was it enough? Does my brain need a break? And when was the last time I did nothing? You can also ask yourself, like, does something hurt? All of these questions can help you start to dig in what's happening with your body. And then the third step, sorry, the third step is actually getting ourselves to do the thing, which requires not just action, but also belief. So we need to believe that it is okay to listen to our bodies. We need to believe that this is a learning process. And we need to also believe that it's okay to not always be pushing ourselves for more. We need to start believing that rest and doing nothing is a part of productivity. And this is how I frame this with clients is right now you might be someone who doesn't trust their body signals, but you can also at the exact same time be someone who is learning to trust their body signals. Both of these people are currently in the same place. They don't know how to trust their body signals. But one is like cut off, like I don't know how to do this. And the other one is I am learning how to do this. How do you do this? And so first we want to be specific. So for example, I notice that my brain needs rest. So I will close my computer and set a timer for 10 minutes while I go play with my dog. I notice I'm feeling hungry. So I will go put together a plate with protein and at least one other macronutrient on there. I notice my body is feeling fatigued, so I will swap out my scheduled workout for a leisurely walk or go sit in the steam room at the gym. And then you can reflect on these decisions. This is a really important part for learning. Was that decision helpful for me? And how can I learn from that decision? And in coaching, we talk a lot about how to practice compassionate reflection. And that is essentially how do I look back on what happened or what I did with an air of curiosity instead of judgment on whether that thing was good or bad. And so there you go. There are three steps. Start noticing shifts in your body and mind. Start determining what your options are in order to respond to what you notice. And then you can decide how you're going to take action. Let's move on to question number two. So someone at my gym told me about intermittent fasting and said it's healthy and a good way to lose weight. But what is it? How long are you supposed to wait between meals? Is it healthy for me to try? I see people doing these long fasts and I just don't get it. And so here's a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about intermittent fasting. If this is something you don't want to listen to or feels triggering for you, please fast forward about 10 minutes to the third question. So what is intermittent fasting? It's essentially allowing a set amount of time to go by between meals or in somehow restricting the either the time in which you eat or the caloric amount. There, there's two kind of main intermittent fasting methods. The main one and the one that most people are referring to is one where essentially you go a period of time without eating and then you have a window of time in which you eat. A really common one is 16-8, so 16 hours not eating, 8 hours of an eating window. There's also a 5-2 method, which is essentially 5 days you sort of eat at a normal calorie intake and then 2 days you'll go very low calorie. For example, someone that is practicing 16-8, which is what we're kind of going to more talk about for the purpose of this question – Someone might choose to have their last meal of the day at 8 p.m. and then the next day they don't begin eating until noon. And yes, there are people that do much longer fasts. Um, These specifically are not, hopefully they are not doing them with a fat loss intention. If they choose to do them, hopefully it is for some other intention. And there are potential health benefits for intermittent fasting if practiced correctly by the correct populations. However, we cannot make a blanket statement and say that this is healthy. And we're going to talk about why. Because I'm going to call some of you out right now. 
some of you listening, or maybe most of you listening, if you are considering intermittent fasting or if you are doing intermittent fasting, are likely not doing it for just the health benefits. I know this because many of you listening are similar to me. And when I did intermittent fasting for two years, I said I was doing it for health benefits, but what I was really doing it for was a desire for fat loss and to control my energy intake. And so let's really briefly talk on the potential health benefits and then we're going to talk about some of the risks. Something to keep in mind before we talk about the, the benefits are is that research is done on intermittent fasting by overwhelmingly male-focused studies or even animal studies. And there are very, very few focusing on the female response to fasting or very few studies that take into consideration the effects on female hormones. There may be specific uh, specific health conditions where fasting may benefit them, um, potentially things like PCOS. Again, this is something to speak to a dietitian about. So not a nutrition coach. I am not, wow, what's, what is the word? Um, not, I'm not qualified. <laughs> that's my word. That's the word. I'm not qualified to practice medical nutrition therapy. And most coaches are not unless they are a dietitian. So if someone is trying to practice medical nutrition therapy as a nutrition coach, they are doing something not legal. Anyways, so potential health benefits of intermittent fasting, it can potentially improve blood sugar control, reduce inflammation, and lower the risk of type 2 diabetes in some individuals. And there are some potential brain health benefits. Research suggests that fasting could contribute to overall longevity, reduce some chronic disease. There's a lot of talk around autophagy and renewing our cells. However, it is really important to keep in mind. These benefits, depending on who you are, may greatly outweigh the risks of intermittent fasting. Here's where we get into kind of the sticky part because intermittent fasting is widely promoted for fat loss. And here is the bottom line. Skipping meals may work for you to lower your overall calorie intake resulting in fat loss. However, it is no more effective than caloric restriction for fat loss when compared calorie for calorie. Intermittent fasting is not a magic pill. Essentially, for fat loss, it is another method to reduce calorie intake. However, please do not stop listening here because we need to talk about who should actually be considering this and who should definitely not be considering this. And I'm going to speak some, from personal experience as someone who practiced intermittent fasting for over two years and from my experience as a coach working with individuals who have either practiced fasting or have been thinking about fasting. And if you want a really amazing, well-researched deep dive on this, Precision Nutrition has an intermittent fasting ebook which dives into all of the different sort of sides of this. And speaking of the Precision Nutrition ebook, which again, very well researched, looks at a bunch of different sides of the intermittent fasting equation, says explicitly in the book, there are people who really should not skip meals, fast for 24 hours, or dramatically restrict their calories, no matter how much it seems they could benefit from intermittent fasting. Those people include people with health issues that necessitate regular meals, anyone with a history of disordered eating, Fasting is essentially an eat-slash-don't-eat experience, which is incredibly similar to the binge-restrict cycle, and people who don't deal all that well with hunger. For example, if they fast or eat less, they end up overeating later. And so taking all of that into consideration, let's chat a little bit about my experience with intermittent fasting, and I'm also going to share an experience with the first client that came to me who was fasting. 
And so when I was deep in the CrossFit world, there was an intermittent fasting trend going through the seminar staff around like 2016, 2017. I was working as a translator for CrossFit and I was already very precisely tracking my macros. And a lot of the seminar staff practiced different forms and different eating windows of intermittent fasting. And I remember a conversation I had with one of the staff members who said, hunger will go away if you wait it out. And his argument was, we are eating all the time, we never let our digestive system rest, and a light bulb sort of went on for me there. If I could avoid eating until midday, I could get myself to eat less. And that was my slippery slope into yet another obsessive approach to eating. I became very strict with my eating windows. I would not eat breakfast until at least 16 hours by the clock had passed since dinner, and I was thinking about food all the time. I did my training in the morning usually and then I wouldn't eat for a couple of hours afterwards and I could not figure out why I just had this like low level of hunger all the time even after a meal. I would eat a big meal and I would still be hungry afterwards. And eventually after a couple of months of this my period just like totally disappeared. It took me years to get my period back and years to re-regulate my hunger and fullness cues and learn to trust myself to eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. And when I was fasting... I had to think twice about saying yes to brunch with friends. I had to carefully schedule my meals around my life, keeping in mind my eating windows. I was tired all the time and thought about food constantly. I simply was not nourishing myself enough, and this was because I was convinced that intermittent fasting was the way. I also felt like I had to keep tracking my macros because otherwise I would overeat at every meal because I felt like I was hungry all the time. If I was my own client, I would have been seeing red flags all over the place. And I remember when I started working with my very first client who came to me practicing intermittent fasting. She was skipping breakfast, trying to eat a really healthy lunch, but most afternoons she would find herself snacking and she would really struggle to stop. She had this mindset of, I need to save calories by skipping breakfast, and then she would end up crazy hungry in the afternoon, and intermittent fasting just kind of made her feel nuts. She was trying so hard to stick to the no breakfast rule, but kept waking up every morning reflecting on overeating from yesterday and feeling horribly guilty. And you know what really helped her reduce her overeating and feel like a normal person again? Eating a solid breakfast and not letting more than four to five hours go between meals. And here's where we also want to be clear. Like if you are someone that says, hey, you know what? I'd really like to leave 12 hours between my dinner and my breakfast. Cool. If that works for you, if that works for your lifestyle, fine. But with all approaches to eating, especially those of us that tend towards more disordered or rigid eating behaviors and thoughts around food, is it's really important to understand what it looks like to be flexible with your eating behaviors. And intermittent fasting, it, it is something that ends up creating rules for people. There are some people that can manage it and they don't get crazy That's not most people in my experience. And so if your question is, would I recommend intermittent fasting? If you are someone, and likely this is a male someone, who has a very neutral approach to eating and a neutral approach to their body, has no problem being a little bit hungry, and being a little bit hungry doesn't lead to overeating or feeling out of control around food later, if you're someone who doesn't obsess over food and doesn't have all or nothing tendencies around food, sure go for it. Give it a try. However, if you are a female, if you are active, 
if you have any history of disordered eating or eating disorders, if you obsess over or overthink food at all, if you have a social life that requires you to be flexible, if you've ever dealt with hypothalamic amenorrhea, or if you have a long dieting history, please stay away from intermittent fasting. And if you want to talk about this, if you want to fight me on this, or if you have questions about this, either one, love to answer questions and also love to hear your opinion. You can also, you can DM me on Instagram or you can hear more about my story in episode 28 of this podcast. And for the client that asked this, I really appreciate this question. I think from this, you're going to have a good idea of what it is and if it's for you. And I'm happy to answer any more questions you have. So last question, how can I sleep more soundly? I have just started training more regularly and I feel tired, but I struggle to sleep through the night and sometimes struggle to fall asleep. Is there anything you might recommend me changing in my routine? And so a few years back, I heard the most incredible analogy for how we tend to approach sleep. And essentially, this analogy was, if we think about ourselves as an airplane and we are flying high all day long, flying high above the ground, and when we want to go to sleep, we want to think about that like landing the plane. So we have a gradual descent and a smooth landing. But most of us go flying high through the air all day long, doing a bunch of things, go, go, go. And then we try to slam our airplane into the ground when we go to sleep. So we're essentially like high energy, looking at things on a screen, uh, thinking about our to-do list, and, and not giving ourselves time to land the plane. And so here, what we can start looking at is like, how do we give ourselves a better landing? And there's actually two sides to this. So there are daytime habits for sleep and evening habits for sleep. And a good night's sleep can really shift depending on some of the things that you do through the day. So we're going to try to make this quick so this is not like a 40-minute long episode. Here's a couple things. So during the day, how much natural sunlight do you get, especially in the first part of the day? What is your caffeine intake like? And are you allowing yourself pockets of rest or time to check in with yourself throughout the day? And here's some basic stuff. Our body has a 24-hour circadian rhythm. And that rhythm is influenced a lot by our light exposure. And so that means that we sort of run like our sleep-wake cycle is sort of on this 24-hour clock. And we can use light exposure to support either better sleep or worse sleep. So for example, in the morning, if we get some direct sunlight in our eyes, we get some natural light in our eyes throughout the day, and then lowering exposure to bright lights in the evening, we can promote a more efficient or a healthier sleep cycle. So if you'd like a deep dive into sleep and understand all the sleep stages and kind of the science behind sleep, I've linked an episode of the Be Well Cartel in the show notes. So that's the podcast that I um, hopefully will restart up again at some point with my coach friends, Holly and Olivia. And we did a deep dive into sleep. So I'm going to link that in the show notes if you want to understand a little bit more of the science side. And then also related to this 24-hour circadian rhythm, we have sort of two important hormones that are key to a solid sleep pattern. So we have cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and melatonin, which is a hormone that helps us fall asleep. It helps us feel drowsy. And so we want cortisol to be higher earlier in the day, and we want melatonin to be lower. That's what keeps, wakes us up and keeps us alert. And then in the evening, we want cortisol low and melatonin to start rising, which helps us dive into a good night's sleep. So daytime habit recommendations. We can cut off caffeine anywhere from 8 to 12 hours before bedtime, especially if you're someone who's sensitive to caffeine. You might say, no, no, I'm someone that can have 12 or a coffee 12 minutes before bed. But 
that's not most people. And also, if you've never tried giving yourself like a solid 8 to 12 hour window between caffeine and bedtime, you might notice that it makes a difference. And you can also aim to get some sunlight into your eyeballs sometime in the first hours of waking up. And then if you can, it can – And so if you can go look at a sunset, that's going to be great. But most of us can't just go stare at a sunset. Maybe you can. But seeing sort of the gradual lowering of natural light, so like being in a place with windows open and you can see the sun kind of go down, can also support melatonin production. Let's jump into some evening routine stuff. If you are peeing a lot in the middle of the night, you can try front-loading your liquids slightly earlier in the day and then giving yourself a couple of hours before bed where you're not drinking anything. So if you're the type of person that likes to have a big a big cup of tea or you drink a lot of water with dinner, we might want to look at like shifting some more liquid intake more around like breakfast, lunch, afternoon time and then leaving like two or three hours at a minimum before you get into bed so that you don't – so your bladder isn't full. And also alcohol can affect sleep. It might knock you out quickly, but it can affect your ability to dive into deep sleep, which means that you'll probably wake up a few hours later and potentially need to pee. I want you to encourage I want to encourage you to start considering how to land your plane. So for some people, you're going to have the space and time for a long drawn out beautiful evening routine. Maybe you'll stretch, shower, Do a complicated skincare routine and then get in bed to listen to a meditation. But for others, that's not an option. And so landing the plane for you is going to need to take less time. So consider this. What activities allow you to not be looking directly at a screen and allow you to relax or disconnect from the day? Maybe that's journaling. Maybe it's doing a puzzle. Maybe it's drawing. Maybe it's talking to someone or meditating. If you can... Allow yourself a couple of hours between your last meal of the day and your bedtime. A bedtime snack is totally fine, but it may disrupt your sleep if you're going to bed with a super full belly. Our minds can definitely get in the way when it comes to a good night's sleep. Either you find yourself kind of mentally spiraling as soon as you try to close your eyes, or you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're thinking about your to-do list or that weird interaction with your coworker. So... Consider how you can offer yourself time to process during the day. One thing that I've done with some clients that tend to have like go, go, go type jobs is actually looking at like can we actually set a timer for five minutes and step away from the computer and like do something that is not high energy like stress related. So whether that is like watching cute dog videos for five minutes or whether that is like journaling on how you're feeling, this can kind of go along with the first question from this podcast episode, right? If you are go, go, go all day long, nighttime might be the only moment that you actually allow your brain to just be. And when you let your brain kind of be, you relax from the day, it's likely your brain's going to want to like go over and overanalyze and process everything before it can actually chill out and let you you sleep. And so some of my clients keep a notepad next to the bed and there's two sort of things that I, I really like to encourage people to do if their brain kind of starts going. One is creating a list of like what I can control and what I can't control. And I like to think of this as like write down a list of all of the things that are coming up that you feel like you absolutely cannot control. And then take a minute and actually release those things. Like you can't control them. They just are things, right? We got to accept them because they just are. And then you can actually look and be like, well, what's going on that I can control? And this is where you can kind of start out your actual to-do list because those are things that you can actually change. Other clients, you can do a brain dump, whether it's a voice note or just like writing down a to-do list or things that you want to like 
remember about remember for tomorrow letting your brain kind of get those things out so they're not circling around in your mind can be really helpful and then again as I mentioned I've had clients who have been really successful adding in like midday short periods of rest and that actually surprisingly helps so much when it comes to winding down in the evening all right team I do want to share one last thing and if you are someone who would love to be a more sort of like flexible go with the flow person when it comes to food but it feels like anytime that you stop dieting or anytime you try to stop tracking macros you end up going overboard listen up on September 12th I'm opening up registration for the confident eater and here's why you need this program you need this so that you can be like my client Carrie who just got back from a trip to Europe and enjoyed both cake and salads without stressing over not being able to be in perfect control of everything on her plate. You can be like my client Kelly who doesn't feel like she needs to track every single morsel of food that goes into her mouth anymore. You can be like my client Claire who stopped weighing herself daily and is now able to enjoy a couple of pieces of chocolate without mentally calculating calories and carbs and without it turning into the whole bar. You can be like my client Marina, who finally feels confident going out to dinner without feeling like she has to search the menu ahead of time and plan out exactly what she's going to order. And you could be like my client Annie, who feels like she finally has power of choice over her eating after years of dieting. And she's stopped reaching for chocolate every afternoon. Used to be a habit for her. She has turned that into a values-aligned decision, so she feels empowered to say, yes, I want some, or no, I don't. And I'm going to share some powerful words that are directly from Carrie. She says, this group is for anyone who has been on the diet train for most of their lives. For those who struggle with negative self-talk, especially around food, those who restrict or binge, there is another more peaceful way to exist. And so you can find all of the details you need at bitesize.es slash the-confident-eater. Or you can just click the link that you'll find in the show notes. You'll also find this if you are on my Instagram. You'll also find this through the link in my Instagram definitely make sure that your name is on the waitlist, even if you are just slightly interested. I am offering $200 off to the waitlist only. And you'll also get some more insight into what's inside the program. You'll hear more about other clients who have been through it. And it's also highly likely this group will sell out and I am only opening spots to the waitlist. Any questions that you have about The Confident Eater, please send them my way. You can send them to Bite Size Nutri on Instagram. If you like, we can also set up a quick chat. I've opened up some 15-minute slots in my calendar. We can set up a quick chat if you like. Talk about what some of your challenges are. Talk about what the best fit for you moving forward is. And as always, if I am not the right fit for you, I will do my best to point you towards someone that is. So with that, my friend, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. If you have any questions, you know where to find me. And hope to see you again next week.